something about being gone for a while. And I have to say that, that I miss this sanctuary. Now, I know it's a place, but uh, I've been here for 10 years, and this is a good place. I, I, and there's something about, uh, now you all are fantastic, okay, but there's something about this space. And, you know, I've been in, uh, we were at a meeting in Memphis, and the sanctuary seats about 5,000, and, you know, it's all high-tech, and it's kind of industrial, and they've got all the bells and whistles and, and this huge band and everything. But, but, you know, Robert's playing one of my favorites. Ann plays Panis, one of my favorites. We sing Beethoven. Now, I, I like contemporary stuff, too, but I need my shot of Beethoven, okay? Uh, so it, it was good. I, I just, I'm just greatly, very appreciative uh, to be here today and the chance to worship the Lord with you. Let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look into his word and see what he has for us today. This great passage finishing up this chapter. I mean, this great passage of faith. There, there are plenty of passages that talk about faith in Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of them today. Uh, but this one in particular that I think really challenges us to listen to what the Lord says and to act upon it. Okay? This is what he says. How do you live because of it? So if you're able, will you stand with me and we'll, I'll read the word of God. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your spirit. Provide for us understanding that we might see clearly what your word has to say and how we are to live because of it and what you have for us when we live in that fashion. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. From John chapter 4, verses 46 through the end of the chapter. He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour that he began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is, again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. One of the great benefits of living in a modern society is this category of um, drugs, which I will call analgesics. Okay? I believe an analgesic is a qualifies as a painkiller. Okay, it refers to drugs that reduce or eliminates pain. After surgery, we're all glad to have that little, uh, little pill that we're, we're told to go get. Now, you, you might leave the hospital feeling pretty good, but you're on the painkillers that you got in the hospital, and, and you need to make sure that you have those at home so that when the pain starts, you don't have to run out and get them. So if you have a bad tooth and you can't get to the doctor, the dentist for a couple of days, it's nice to have a little something to take that 
pain in your tooth off. Or uh, ladies, now not having known this personally, but I'm told that, that labor might be a little painful and it's nice to have something to take the edge off of it, right? Athletes often use painkillers. Oh, you know, the knee is really sore, so they go and, and get a shot and it deadens the pain. They're able to go out and play again or the shoulder hurts or whatever it might be. It makes it a little bit easier to live. But of course, there are other painkillers within society that aren't there to make life easier. They're just there to kill the pain of reality that we might face. Sometimes food eases the stress of life or shopping makes people feel better about themselves or people might use alcohol or some illicit drugs to numb the the world around them. I've learned that some people build their entire existence And their entire personalities are shaped in an effort to kill the pain that they have experienced in life. Now, who they are in this world is simply an outgrowth of the analgesic that they take, that they rub upon their lives, whether it's to kill the pain of some childhood trauma uh, that they still deal with or, or something that happened in their later years in college, or maybe it's just every day you go home to a marriage or a family that You just can't stand and you can't understand why the Lord has has left you there, but yet he has placed you there, and and now you have reduced yourself to, to seeking some way to kill this pain within this relationship. But understand, pain and struggle are simply a part of our lives. They're part of our lives, and people have different ways of dealing with them. Some of, the, some of us kill our pain through faith. We go and we seek the Lord and we cry out to the Lord. And, and you know what? It, all you have to do is go back to the book of Lamentations or go back to some of the Psalms and see how people cry out to the Lord. There is nothing wrong with getting on your knees and telling the Lord exactly what you think. Okay, don't think that prayer has to be, Our Heavenly Father, I come before you and I'm not very happy. Uh, my world's falling apart. Okay, it doesn't have to be emotional. What is in your heart? The Lord knows what's in your heart. Cry out to him. But understand, read the Psalms. And very often, David begins with that. He begins with some very hard words. Um, sometimes he, he's asking the Lord to, if I can recall these things, you know, bring pestilence against his enemies, str- lop their heads off. I mean, he really gives it to them. But at the end of that, those Psalms, you know what he's doing? He's giving praise to the Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you care for those who belong to you. There's nothing wrong with lamenting to the Lord and crying out to the Lord, but understand, there's also that time to give praise to the Lord for who he is and what he has done in your life. Now, this this morning, we find a man of really substantial means because in the early portion, we see that he is a royal official, and a royal official really is a person in the household of Herod, the king. So he has access to all of those great things which are in Herod's kingdom and in Herod's household as far as um, uh, medical things, the, 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 the cutting-edge medicine, whatever it might have been in the first century. Um, and, and we don't know whether he's Jewish or Gentile. If he's a Gentile, then, then this demonstration of God's grace in his life is simply fantastic. Because this is early in the ministry of Jesus, and to minister to a Gentile in this way is very shocking. Now, if he's Jewish, uh, if he's working in Herod's court, he doesn't rate much more than a Gentile would rate in the eyes of the rest of the Jewish population. 
But the great pain in his life at this moment is his child. His child is very sick, even to the point of death. Okay? And anyone who has been at the side of a parent or a spouse or a child understands this pain. And it's moments like these, where do we turn that speak volumes about what it is that we believe and what it is that we think is right and what we think is true? I was in Wilmington, and, and a woman was having a, a, a surgery for cancer, and I was there in, in the hospital waiting room, the surgery waiting room, and with her husband and her, her kids and, and, and the rest of her family. And the doctor called us all into the room, and, and we all went in, and he said, I think I got it all. And there was this whew, sigh of relief. Well, the husband immediately got up and left. And I thought, well, he's, he's going to go back to recovery and find her and, and just to be with her. And, and I was there about another half hour, and I didn't, I never saw him again, so I went out to my car, and there he was in his car, his numbing the pain. He was sitting in his car drinking. And as soon as he had left that, heard the news that his wife was going to be okay, to deal with whatever struggles were going on in his heart, he had to go out to his car and begin to drink. Okay? That was the painkiller that he chose, and it ultimately, ultimately destroyed him. Destroyed him. Well, the father in our passage has found nothing yet to ease his pain. Nothing yet to deal with the issue of his son. No doctor has been able to bring healing, and, and you imagine the struggle that is going on inside of him. Now it says in verse 46, He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. That's about 25 miles away. So this royal official has hiked the 25 miles to get to Jesus. And his whole purpose in getting to Jesus is to get a hold of Jesus and to take him back the 25 miles back to his house that Jesus might have access to his son. Now, at this point, we're just not sure what the man believes. There's no, there's no evidence that he believes that Jesus is the son of God. The only evidence is that he thinks Jesus can heal his son. Well, obviously, word has filtered back to him that Jesus has healed the sick. Or perhaps maybe he even met somebody who Jesus had healed. But we don't know that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. All we know is he's got this pain in his life, and he wants his son healed. So he comes to Jesus, come and heal my son. That's the Father's request. Now, when Jesus answers the man, verse 48, uh, the end of 46, for he was at the point of death, and then 48, therefore Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now Jesus is taking this opportunity of the request by this man, a heartfelt request. It's not as if the man is there to see a show. You know, well, you know, do some more miracles, Jesus. You know, straighten some more crooked limbs. Open some more ears, open some more eyes, cast out some more demons. No, he says, my son is dying, come and heal him. That's all he's interested in. But Jesus takes this opportunity of the request of this man and kind of turns to the crowd that he has been dealing with. And he chastises them or challenges them with these words, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, I think this kind of goes right by the official, okay? It goes right by the official because he just says the same thing again. Come and heal my son. I'm not out for signs and wonders. I'm not out for a show. I'm here for healing. I'm here for healing. Now, 
this could be, turn over to Mark chapter 7, this could be some sort of test by Jesus. We don't know. He's done it before, and we'll see this in, in Mark chapter 7, that he, he doesn't speak directly to the man, but he throws it out to the rest of the crowd while the guy is there. Now, maybe this is to see what the man will do in response to the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. This is one of those passages that's, that's kind of hard to understand. Um, I, I look at it in this way, that, that the Lord is in, to some degree testing this woman. Verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So what he's saying is kind of an idiomatic statement here used in that culture that said, you know, feed the kids first, whatever scraps are left, throw them to the dogs. Well, the kids he is referring to would be the Jews first. The dogs would be the Gentiles. Not an uncommon phrase to be used for Gentiles at that time. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said, Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. So Jesus kind of rebuffs her, but we get the impression that that he wants to see what it is she really believes, okay? And her response, Jesus says, because of this response, your daughter has been delivered of the demon. And he just, just like that. He didn't have to go to to the house. He didn't have to say anything else because Christ has power over everything, okay? The demons obey him. The demons obey him. So let's go back to John chapter 4. How does the official respond to to Jesus' answer? He simply says it again. Sir, come down before my child dies. I don't care about miracles. I don't care about shows. I care about the healing of my child. The son was dying. That's all that the father knew. In verse 50, Jesus says, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word and went. Now, first he had walked the 25 miles to get a hold of Jesus to take him back that he would heal his son. Jesus isn't going. He does the opposite of what the man requests. He just simply says, go your way. Your son lives. And that's all that was. Now, the man obeyed without question. He believed. He didn't insist on seeing the miracle. He heard the word of Christ, and that was sufficient for him to walk back the 25 miles. Did he know that his son was healed? There must be some evidence here in his heart that he was changed. So he got a twofer, okay? Even at the end of the passage, we see it's a threefer, a twofer. Not only did his son get healed, but his life was changed. And when he gets home, we see what? In the end of verse 53, your son lives and he himself believed in his whole household. See, the miracle, the healing of his son 
It was not confirmation. The healing of a son was not confirmation of the miracle. It was confirmation of who Christ was. The man had gone to the right place. His pain had driven him to the only one in whom he could find healing. Not just healing for his son, but healing here in his heart, which he so desperately needed. Now, if it weren't for his son, if it weren't for this dying child, the man would have never gone to Christ. See, the man had this this hurt, this pain, this need that drove him to Christ. He wasn't excited about spiritual truth. He wasn't all fired up about going to Christ and getting his sins forgiven. He was fired up about this need and this pain in his life. And that's the only reason, this emotional, this physical need, the only reason he ended up before Christ. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, he looked at the Pharisees and said, Listen, I didn't come to take care of the well people. I came to take care of the sick people, the people whose needs are great. That's why Jesus was was criticized for hanging out with whom? The tax collectors and the prostitutes the very bottom of society. The people who were sick come to Jesus. The people who have a need come to Jesus. Okay? Until a man knows he's sick, until a man is crying out in his heart, he doesn't understand he has this great need for this healing in Christ. Turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at this one. Many a time, the affliction in our heart is what drives us to Christ. Now, there are times when we're simply there and we hear the gospel and we are ready to believe. There are other times we are driven either through pain or through the stresses of life. We're driven down to our knees before the Lord and we cry out to him and we we lay our heart bare and we we bemoan all that's going on and we don't understand what's going on. And and yet the Lord does, but he wants us to lay it out before him. And and there it is in, in the midst of those times, often that healing comes to our lives. Matthew chapter 8, go down to verse 5. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him. A centurion is a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred other men, saying, Lord, my servant is paralyzed, lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. This is just the opposite of what the man asks. We'll see this in a moment. Now, the man in, in our passage says, come back to my house and heal my child. Jesus says, I'm not going. And he heals him. This man doesn't want Jesus to come, but Jesus says, I'll come to your house. The centurion, verse 8, answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith in anyone in Israel. He just says, say the word, and he'll be healed. This is a Roman centurion, a man whose job was killing. A man who was, you can imagine, a very hard man and he makes his way to Christ and he says just speak the word and my servant will be healed speak the word back to John now we know the man goes back we've seen this how do we know he believes the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off 
Your son is better. That's what he heard when he was met there. And when did it happen? He counts back, and it's the same time that Jesus spoke. See, this is confirmation, as I said, of Christ and of his power. And then, of course, the rest of the family believes. I don't know know everybody's pain here. I don't know if you, you live with the things that happened to you years and years ago. I don't know if there is an event in your life that has so shaped you that you have sought to kill that pain, or maybe you have sought to, to simply put it out of your mind and not deal with it, and it's, it's locked away back here somewhere, and every once in a while it rears its ugly head, and you have to, have to fight it back. I don't know. We all suffer loss. I don't know whether you've wrestled with that loss and really come to grips with it. I don't know if you've gone to the cross with it. Maybe it's something that you have battled with over the years. Maybe it's something that rears its ugly head again and again on a regular basis, and you cry out to the Lord, Lord, why don't you take this from me? Why does this keep coming up? Uh, you know, I, I've laid this before you, and, and, you know, one of those answers that the Lord gives to us, there's yes, and there's no, and there's later. Yes and no and later. And sometimes the Lord says, yes, I'm going to redeem you from this right now and remove this. I'm going to remove this pain. I'm going to remove the memory of this. I'm going to remove any desire for this. Then there are other times the Lord says, no, I'm going to let you sit here and stew in this. I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to to have it drive you to your knees, to you come to the grips where you have no other option but to lay before me all that you are. I have friends who have struggled with things for years. For years, and they have cried out to the Lord. And, and I said, what have you learned in the struggle? He said, I've learned in the struggle that God's all I got when it comes to that. When that sin rears its ugly head in my life, all I have is Christ. And what else did you learn? Nobody says, oh, Christ is all I need. Now, does the Lord heal us today? Yes, he does. Does he do it in the same fashion as this? No, but yet he still heals in the fashion of, of this, you know, you can't come to me and say, Randy, you know, my child's dying. I can't speak the word and the child will be healed. Okay? That's the Lord's business. But the Lord calls us to come and to pray for one another and to care for one another, to lay hands on one another and to speak the blessings of the word of God and of his power. We understand that the Lord is not our giant painkiller in the sky. He is our comforter. He is our deliverer. He is our strength, our strong tower, our fortress, our rock, an ever-present help in times of need. He doesn't say, no, I'm not going to heal you. I want you to wrestle with that. He says, I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to remove that pain from you. I want you to wrestle with it, and I'm going to be with you in the midst of that struggle. I'm going to bring the body of Christ around you in the midst of that struggle if you will allow them to come into your life and to care for you and to minister to you. There's no guarantee that he'll remove our pain, only a guarantee that he will never leave us in the midst of it. My friends, you, but you can't just sit there and go, okay, Lord, you know my pain. Come and be with me. It's a great opportunity for the body of Christ to care for one another. It's a great opportunity for the people around us who care the most about us to come and to walk alongside with us to come and sit on our morning bench with us and to be present with us and to pray for us and to reach out for us. The guarantee is that God will never leave us in the midst of that. 
The demonstration of that is the body of believers who will come alongside of us. Now today we're going to come to the Lord's table. And it's here that that God will provide grace for us. And so often what we do is we have this, this quiet time of prayer. And we confess our sins before the Lord. And, and, and we need to do that before we come to the Lord's table. But today I, don't, I want us to confess our sins, but I also want us to care for one another. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse or next to somebody that you know, I'm going to ask you in just a few moments, we're going to pray, and I want you to turn for them. Turn to them. And I want you to begin to pray for them. They're your spouse. You ought to know what their needs are. If they're a stranger and you don't know them, simply ask their name and seek the Lord's favor in their life, that the Lord would come and intervene to them. Okay. Now, it might get a little noisy for a few moments, but this is what the body of Christ does. We care for one another, and I think we need to intervene on behalf of one another before the Lord, that we would be encouragers, that we would say, I don't know all your pain, but I am here and I'm going to intervene on behalf of that. So my friends, let's gather and begin to pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, as we turn and care for one another, just put a real ease on all our hearts, that this is what the Lord does, that he calls us to reach out and and to simply seek blessing for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to seek your hand of mercy in their life, to seek your peace upon their hearts. Lord, we might not know what each of us is suffering from. We might not know that the, the deep pain that, that the person next to us is experiencing. Maybe the great heartache that, that plagues them and, and, and affects all that they see. But Lord, we're going to pray for your healing on their hearts. We're going to pray that you would come and minister and bless them. We're going to pray that your Holy Spirit would come like, like a healing balm in their lives and that your mercy and tenderness and care would rain down upon them. My friends, just quietly to the person next to you, just begin to pray for them. You can do it out loud if you like.